The next chapter with Prim's Ripapad is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, it's Prim. Welcome to the next chapter presented by Baron Davis and Slick Studios. This week's guest is four-time All-American men's lacrosse player at Johns Hopkins University, two-time NCAA champion, two-time world champion, three-time professional lacrosse champion, three-time MVP, professional lacrosse's all-time scoring champion, gold medalist for Team USA, and more recently, the co-founder and president of the Premier lacrosse league paul rabel now i'm going to be totally honest with you i don't necessarily have a good handle on lacrosse my knowledge about it is shoddy at best but i do know that if there is anyone to know in this sport as you can tell from his lengthy resume it's paul someone many have dubbed the greatest lacrosse player of all time. And he's also one of the few players that was really able to make a living as a pro lacrosse athlete. But it was just last year that he announced his retirement from what he describes as this beautiful game I love. After a 14-year professional career and after 24 years of playing which means this season was his first on the sidelines as a retired athlete. But he certainly got his hands full with the PLL, which he co-founded with his brother, Mike Rabel. You know, I think what stands out to me about my conversation with Paul, which was recorded right before his ESPN documentary came out in August, is that the greatest athletes in the world are not immune to pain. And that some of their best moments across their careers or even in life actually came from a place of pain, whether it stemmed from an injury or a failure or a mistake or even a huge loss. And that's something you'll hear Paul talk about, his relationship with pain, whether it be physical, emotional, or psychological, and how some of his most pivotal moments and periods of his career and his most significant victories were inspired by some of his worst moments. And so we talked about this this spectrum where the best and the worst moments live, as well as the successes and the pains and everything else in between and how the path out is actually through acceptance of that entire spectrum of experiences. My hope is that from this conversation, you will reflect on how you process not just your victories in life, but also your losses and failures and what your relationship with pain is. So without further ado, here's Paul Rabel. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah. Think of our our season heading into playoffs, so I'm, I'm bouncing between New York, LA, and, and every uh, stop across the country that we make. 
I know. Well, thank you for squeezing us into your uh, busy schedule. But you know what? Uh, what I've been doing recently is just kind of doing kind of like a warm up rapid fire. So, would you like to start off with that? Okay. Just kind of yeah. to yeah. break so we're the ice. Right into it. Yeah, I wouldn't we call it like jump into the deep end. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to jump into the shallow end and then the deep end and then back over to the shallow end. Okay. So first one, three words that described you as an athlete. Oh, I would say competitive, um, hungry, and unsatisfied. Unsatisfied. Great work. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to have to go back to that. Favorite sport growing up. Uh, basketball. Mm. Favorite athlete growing up? Michael Jordan. Nice. Favorite sports team growing up? Uh, probably the Chicago Bulls. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Your strength as an athlete? Probably my, uh, I would say, well, this isn't confined to one answer this time, is what it sounds like. So I would say my endurance and grit. Probably some resilience in there. Nice. Your weakness as an athlete? Um, my temper. <laughs> Your favorite and best moment as an athlete? Fortunately, there just wasn't one. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, and and I, could, I could give you um, championship one and, and a championship game lost uh, equally as important. Okay. So how about um, worst moment as an athlete? Would one of those well, losses think, be yeah, it? Or? Kind of, yeah, that's that's sort of it, right? Is our worst moments tend to uh, help us wind into our best. So if you sit back in reflection, the, uh, the championship losses or the championship loss. So, okay. I can re-hit that again. So if, if, if you think about it, the world championship loss that I had in 2014 led to a world championship win in 2018 and a response that I had in every season between and same thing with injury, right? We, one thing we sign up for as athletes, uh, is that we will get injured and, uh, we will experience pain. And if you're just like therapeutically in relationships, if you apply the learnings from medical professionals and physical therapists, you actually come out better because you learn how to uh, reformat your your operating system, the way you think about the game, your behaviors from nutrition to sleep to hydration to even your running mechanics. So all of that long-winded way of in a rapid-fire segment to say uh, the worst moments are the best moments. My God, that's awesome. I love it. Well worded. Uh, funniest moment as an athlete? Oh. Um, I, I guess I have this thing that people think is odd and, and maybe funny where uh, I just am so drenched uh, after games and we get to the locker room. First thing I do is just take off my jersey and my shorts, and uh, and then I leave my cleats on and everything because I just want to get the <laughs> uniform off. And so I'll just kind of be like walking around in my spandex and cleats. Yeah, <laughs> I realize that that's that's that that's a theme, and you see it in our documentary too. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I get it. So I curve all the black. <laughs> I like it. Um, 
one activity and hobby that you do that replaces the feeling of sport or being an athlete? Um, nothing can replace the sense of being a professional athlete on a field of full and inherent presence and, uh, and a lot riding on the line. So I think what we try to do is, um, fill that Delta with different, you know, moments or hobbies or activities that can accumulate over time. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting. Thank you for doing the, the rapid fire. And, um, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I feel like it's, it's, uh, shortly into your post retirement career. Cause you just retired last year. Wasn't it? It's really not that long ago. And this is kind of your first season on the so-called sidelines. And of course you have a lot in your plate. So, so how is retired life going for you? I would say it's challenging. You know, I, I like, like a lot of athletes would, would probably allude to in, if they're being honest, um, because you, you miss the, the competition on the field and that, uh, kind of alter universe that you get to step into once a week or multiple times a week where, especially in a modern day society of technology and distractions, everything goes away. And I really got to experience how powerful that was when I co-founded the PLL with my brother, Mike, in that my biggest fear and our collective concern and even our board at the time was, you know, what is, what is the environment going to be from a, you know, perceived conflict of interest for our fans, for the players, and for you, Paul, when when you uh, step on the field and start looking at empty seats in the stands or a sponsored board that's all fucked up or, you know, understanding when the timeout breaks are and how the refs are doing and their scorecard after the game that's going to be processed by the front office. Like, how are you going to be able to process all that and still play? And and what I found was, um, you yeah, know, once you suit up and step on the field, you, everything else goes away. And, and, and we talked mm-hmm. about the value of that in sports at an early age. You get away from the distractions, from the bad grades, from the failed tests, from the broken relationships and get on the field. And you just kind of get to sort it out in a really present, meaningful uh, way of activity. Um, and that even existed at the, at the co-founding level. And in the highest stakes of a pro league that was venture back. So I, uh, I appreciated that more and more and I miss it. Hmm. Yeah, that is really true. I think a lot of athletes talk about that, um, especially for athletes that come from more disadvantaged backgrounds or they're experiencing a lot of challenges early on. They oftentimes talk about how sport can be that great escape. So I think my next, my next question is, because sport was able to offer you that uh, that escape or you're able to get away from things. In the year that you have stepped away from sport, have you noticed anything coming back to the surface that maybe you were able to get away from or just how you manage things differently? Yeah, I think, I think you just have to, and it's part of life is um, evolving and reconciling and adapting and uh, going inward. So um, I would say I'm actually, from a timing standpoint, I'm actually, I've actually come out of it. It took about probably eight months because it was also uh, right on the cusp of some pretty significant changes in my life from location, uh, obviously retiring from a sport I'd played for 24 years, 
uh, to having major surgery on my on my knee, and and that kind of put me on the sideline where I actually couldn't walk for eight weeks. So it was it was a lot of like major life altering events at once, mm-hmm. and um, it was a big reset button for me through uh, through most of 2022. Mm-hmm. And um, and and yeah, it's just a, a matter of kind of doing the work, I think, and um, and I did a lot of that work, and uh, I feel like I'm in a better position now than I was three months ago. Is that definitely six months ago? Um, yeah, I feel, feel really grateful. And I think that's part of the work is, is understanding the gratitude tied to everything that we're doing and, um, and in reflection. So that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's all part of, I think the equation. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think I love the way you described it, but it is, it is work. It's a lot of work. I mean, for me, uh, as I've said multiple times across this show and this series, is that for me, that work, you know, you think it's it's over. And then like three years later, you realize, oh, I've got more work to do. And then for me, it was like 10 years later. I'm like, oh, I thought the work was done. And apparently it's not. I have some unresolved issues that I continue to, to continue uh, just working on. So, you know, when you talk about work and going inward, could you describe, especially for a lot of the athletes out there that are listening and also coaches and sports parents, can you describe in detail what that work involves and what it, what it involved for you? Yeah. Well, it started for me probably eight years ago or so when I uh, was a part of a team that lost the world championship against Canada and that was 2014. And, um, and then I got into sports psychology and, and kind of compounded that call it fracture of loss with a with an actual compound fracture in my foot. So I went from losing one of the biggest games of my career to then being sidelined for six months and uh, at the really at the peak of my career. I was 28 and playing quite well. Um, so sports psychology was a big aspect of going inward is, is getting support as like a mental coach. It's the same thing as having a, a teacher and professor or a parent or a mentor. Um, shooting coach if you're a lacrosse player or hooper things of that nature so uh i I had a sports psychologist and then i got into personal therapy um i began meditating i journal quite a bit uh i I really think about my morning routines as an indicator of whether or not i have a successful day um and uh yeah and then i think like the principles of of healthy living which is rest recovery hydration um so it, it uh those are like the ingredients. And then I would say a lot of the work and the time lives around our ability to sit with the pain and not try to cover it up with uh, escapisms. And that could be you know, all different types of vices, drinking, drugs, sex, you know, just ways to kind of step away from um, what it is you're like feeling in your fiber and, uh, and, and change just requires and deserves space, um, that either, you know, you, you have to give for yourself, your partner can give for you. They can live there with you, your family, your friends. And, um, oh, and yeah, friends, friends are really important and, and they, uh, and they show up in, in like the most, uh, trivial and challenging times in our lives. Yeah. So your work, the work that you were talking about with regards to after you retired, the work actually began eight years ago. So you've been working at 
at maybe in preparing yourself for this moment, whether it was purposeful in the sense of like, oh, this work that I'm doing, less for retirement, more for your performance as an athlete, but also in in life. And it's so interesting that you talk about just all of those things. And you're totally speaking my language because I journal, I meditate. Uh, one of my favorite books is The Miracle Morning, where it talks about just like the foundation in the morning. You spend five minutes doing all of these things, exercise, uh, set your intentions for the day. And, and then also sports psychology and therapy. And when I started doing a lot of those things, I had begun therapy myself. So what was it? At, you said you were around 28 years old around that yeah. time when all those things started. So what, what was going on around that time that you really started making some of these, these changes and pretty big changes? Well, I, th- I think, you know, you make decisions around catastrophe or trauma or, or in my case, I had mentioned uh, losing a world championship and breaking my foot. So you go into this hole and you try to figure out how to solve for it. And, um, you know, the way that my brain works is it like really leans left in, in logic, uh, related to my career. And then I, I think, you know, my right side creativity, um, tends to, find its way on the field as an athlete or creatively in our business when I kind of oversee our media marketing and attention strategy. Um, so I would say, yeah, I mean, uh, one of the life's paradoxes and, and I could give you a sports metaphor is that is, is, uh, we tend to not really focus on the moments of growth until we absolutely have to. So sometimes it requires a lot of pain and loss to, to get on the right track. Or my, so the sports metaphors reminds me of an injury. Like we, we all have heard that it's really about your rehab, your physical therapy after your surgery. Um, and, uh, and that's when we're in a lot of pain. And then we stop doing our rehab. We don't do the physical therapy because we're not feeling the pain anymore. And then it will like come back and remind us, oh, by the way, you have to do this work and the work doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it's usually signaled by some sort of pain where we start getting ourselves on track, and then the long term lesson, which is what kind of what I learned, is that while I had started the work, I had kind of eased up on it because I felt like okay, I was I was in the right direction and had felt like I had a sense of you know pro level mastery of the fundamentals, and was quickly reminded that I didn't. Um, and so that was one of the lessons is like the work just doesn't stop. So right now when I'm, I'm feeling better and a little bit out of it, that's when I, I should just actually get back into it. Yeah. It's so fascinating to hear you talk about your journey and in the short time that we have been talking, you have mentioned just like, um, your experience with pain, whether it's physical or emotional, just general life moments of, um, of challenges and obstacles. And I think that for me heading into the interview, I kind of like to pose a hypothesis in my mind. And so I kind of, as I go into the the interview, I, I see whether or not that holds up. And my hypothesis was that, you know, really out of all the athletes that I've talked to, I would, I would have expected that your transition from sport and your general like athletic journey was very, I mean, there, it, it seemed like you won all the time and it didn't really like, it's easy for us on the outside to look on your resume and just go through all the accolades and the titles and the championships and the NCAA titles and four-time All-American and, you know, MVP and all of those things. So it's so fascinating to sit here with you 
and the things that we were talking about, um, you are bringing up the losses that that moved you and have changed you. And it sounds like you were, you know, and also even when we were doing the rapid fire, you mentioned like the best moments are connected with the worst moments because the best moments come from the worst moments. But it's it's just really, it's fascinating. Yeah, I think I think that the fiercest competitors, and not everyone's this way, but the fiercest competitors are, are driven uh, by fear and uh, and by the threat of loss and the pain that they've that they've experienced from that loss because they're such fierce competitors. Um, and it's and it really sucks to say it's it's almost a toxic relationship that you have with sports. Um, and I tried to, I spent a lot of time in sports psychology, like learning how to shift that because I was as ferocious of a competitor and I could conf, I just like confidently and also humbly, but also know the other side of that style of competitor is, you know, you're, you're not well liked. Um, and I think the fiercest competitor of all time is Michael Jordan. And I mentioned that he was kind of my sports idol growing up. So I really studied his, his behaviors. Um, mm. And not his wins, but like how he handled himself, and he was fucking cutthroat. And uh, and so I kind of see saw that as like the variable that even the great a lot of great athletes didn't have. And so that's kind of where I was. And but but it reaches a point where it just causes it's just fraught with anxieties and pain and sleepless nights. And even when you win, you're pissed. Um, so mm-hmm. that was kind of my. Uh, my mindset all the way up until I was 28. And then I started trying to shift it into appreciating wins more, but learned that that was just sort of my recipe that worked. I had a coach at one point, because I'm an offensive player, I had a coach come in, it was a newer coach, and he was like, hey, man, like, you think you should be like more calm before games and like you're a skill player and you need to like have a sense of uh, you know, maybe like presence or or like, you know, slow the play down. And as I get, I would get ready, like I'm fucking Ray Lewis. Um, and, <laughs> and, and then I was, I thought a lot about it. I was like, yeah, oh, maybe he's right. I just, the reality was, um, his positioning made sense, but it didn't work for me. And, and mm. I was always super intense. Um, and so there were a couple of seasons in my early thirties where I tried to balance the two and appreciate a game and be more, you know, present and accepting of the moments, good and bad. And I just wasn't as, wasn't myself. And so my final season, I flipped that switch back on of just, you know, bearing down. And, um, and I had one of my better seasons again to, to finish my career. So it, it's, uh, it's all to say that, you know, it's, it's, uh, again, one of life's paradoxes, um, in that, uh, in the pain and fear is can sometimes be the best motivator, but also a kind of an unhealthy one over the long term. So trying to figure out where your balance is. And, um, but I loved it. I loved like thriving in those scenarios. I even notice now when I go work out in the gym, like it's just not quite the same because yeah, of course. Uh, there's no one on the other side of it that imaginarily that I'm thinking about. So, um, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that you are certainly not alone. I think that one of the biggest struggles for athletes is losing that sense of purpose and structure. So then you go into training, you've been training your whole life um, with a, a goal in mind because there's a match or a game coming up. And then now all of a sudden you're like, what am I really doing? And how is my how is my strength and conditioning program going to fit who I am today? Because it's not like I'm really 
you know, there's no game or match coming up. Um, so when you talk about pain, uh, what is your relationship today with, with pain, whether it's physical or emotional? Well, I'm still in a lot of pain from uh, the surgery that I had. It was it was pretty major. I had uh, cartilage reconstruction, um, and so that had build, been building up over time. And I knew once I retired that I would have that that major surgery. And it's a, like a 14 month recovery. So there's there's actual physical pain that I have on a day to day that I'm not unaccustomed to. I've had a lot of surgeries uh, over my career. Uh, um, and then I would say my, you know, my relationship with pain, um, just like metaphysically and, and, uh, from a, I mean, probably mainly from a mental standpoint is I have, I have a, I have a really good relationship with it. I, I'm, mm. I'm driven from it. And, uh, and I'm, I, I kind of look at it through a lens that is unique given my experience as a pro athlete and that most of our uh most of our goals that we set for ourselves are some of the most highly unlikely to achieve um you know get be becoming the best at what you do is incredibly unlikely uh even you know dialing that back to being a top recruit in the country as a high school to being a first team all american in college to then wanting to be a multiple time first team all american player of the year it's just unlikely mm-hmm. but in sport because there's like a linear growth curve and it's like the more you put in the more likely you can achieve if you have that kind of twisted mindset where i'm just going to fucking go do it um then and then you're able to achieve it. Like I mean, it's led to what I would surmise as, and my brother's a, an athlete too, and he's my co-founder. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, PLL, I would surmise to like, you know, even having a go at building the PLL. Most people are like, come on, give me a break. Um, and so there's there's a level of of uh, you know acceptance and understanding of the pain ahead to accomplish something that's unique that is low odds of likelihood of conversion that I, uh, I thrive in. So that would be the, uh, the metaphysical approach and, and experience I have with pain. Yeah. Thank you for, for answering that. I, I guess the, the reason why I asked that is because I think the transition that you're going through right now and the shift in roles, I would imagine brings up not only just a level of adjustment, but for the general population of athletes, it brings up a lot of discomfort, you know, to, to not be an athlete anymore. And then now you're the co-founder and having to run the PLL full time, as opposed to doing that and also being an athlete, which as you talked about, maybe it was in some ways it was easier to balance maybe because you could kind of step on the field and have that distraction. So, you know, how, how did that experience and your relationship with pain and what you learned from that how is that helping you now as you're during your post retirement career? Mm. I think um, I would say that you know the 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 learnings from the workplace are actually uh, really transferable to becoming a better athlete on the field, and I was I was lucky to have that intermix of, of learnings while I was still playing, you know, I I was building the league and and playing and figuring out 
um, a lot of like inner workplace dynamics and relationship building and like pro- appropriate management around like career trajectory and life trajectory and things like that, that we have to have, uh, I think a, a better and more empathetic approach in the workplace than, than you do in, in the locker room. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I've, I, I've, I've said this before, but I, I really think that, um, you know, student athletes get great balance from what they're learning in the classroom and what they can apply to the field. And I think athletes that are now in this modern age, more entrepreneurial and getting exposure as investors or venture partners to deals can, again, take some of those inner workings and dynamics and apply them to what they do uh, as athletes. I think we see even with Tom Brady, he's, he's, he seems to be uh, at this stage of his career, very, very, very regimented. Uh, and he understands the value of that. I mean, in business, we create OKRs. Um, which are like your, your quarterly goals and, uh, and you know, it stands for objectives and key results, but it's how we uh, measure the success of respective busy, business units and requires a lot of planning. And, um, and then you can put together workflows and project manage better to those OKRs. And it's just a way to, to gauge success and also reward success and growth. Um, and so in sports, Good coaches and managers essentially are putting together OKRs if they, if they have uh, good game day plans. And in lacrosse, what that would be is like, okay, we want to clear the ball 95%. We want to uh, have a 60% save percentage. We want to win 65% of draws. Uh, our power play wants to sit at 40%. And during the week, you're working to achieve those. And after the game, you're seeing, okay, do we hit these OKRs? Uh, and then that can like boil down to how you're performing and training as an athlete week to week, quarter over quarter, year over year. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, I took your question in a different direction, but, um, but I, but I would say that, you know, there's, there's, as we've talked about, there's kind of pain and resilience and, and the, uh, psychology of, of transition and, and even like corollaries between an athlete and a business person. Um, and then there's the, like the data, uh, that we can learn from that we can also apply in, in either industry. It sounds like your, your process, you've, you've figured out a process for just how to deal, how just to navigate various, um, challenges or try to strive and achieve a goal. And so, you know, I, I am curious about what you have found out about the, um, non lacrosse athlete or person that you are, like who is Paul beyond lacrosse, and also what you, what are you good at? Because I, I remember listening to your conversation with uh, Greg Olson on his Youth Inc. podcast, and it was it was such a great conversation. I want to offer credit where credit is due. Um, but you mentioned just the uh, the interesting point about uh, you had mentioned. I'm going to paraphrase here, like. Find, de- find what you're good at or find what you're best at because um, if you can become really good at what you're good at, um, it becomes your passion. And I never heard anyone really describe that before. Yeah. So I'm curious about what, what you've found that you're good at in this position today, maybe as a president, co-founder, entrepreneur, outside of lacrosse. Well, I would start by saying that there... Uh, 
there's a there's more that I'm that I'm unqualified and not good at than than good, and uh, it's important. And I think that a lot of data would suggest that having a co-founder and starting a business, if you're out there starting a business, is uh, is on a multiple uh, far greater and and more likely to success than than being a sole founder. Um, and Mike, my brother, who's our CEO of the PLL, is is kind of a serial entrepreneur. Um, kind of at a high level, is incredible manager and operator, uh, which enables me to to focus on you know the public facing side of the business, which is media marketing and attention um, and kind of conversion related to such. So I would say that I um, I am I think I'm uniquely talented at uh, at storytelling. And, 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 you know, how that has come to life, uh, for me as, as an athlete and then how that, uh, you know, it makes its way into what we do at the PLL. Um, in a lot of ways, it's like tied to the documentary that, um, we're releasing called fate of a sport and, uh, ESPN films, uh, is the distributor and uh we had gotten into tribeca earlier this summer and and it um you know in a in a unique way it's a story unto itself but it also you know will describe those differences in a lot of detail behind the scenes between mike and myself and the challenges that that you and i are talking about today Mm -hmm. um and so it's i think it's it's a it's probably like the the if I were to give an example, I think it was important when, when answering a question, like giving an example of a good story is, is this film that's coming out. Um, but yeah, how to, how to essentially take a complex narrative and distill it down to, a, to a, a version or versions that, uh, are carefully articulated to a subset of demographics and, uh, there's never been more opportunity to do that in unique ways with the evolution of the internet and social media and different forms of media, including streaming now. Um, and that's, that's the type of stuff that excites me, especially around a sport where you have stakeholders like the game itself to uh, your fans, to your coaches and GMs, to your players, uh, to the teams, to the moments w- for, throughout the season, to the history of the sport, which is Native American. So there's there are endless opportunities to uh, talk about what I have a passion for, um, which is sport, which is business, which is community, and uh, and be able to articulate that to others who also share in that passion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed, uh, by the way, congrats on the documentary and ESPN films and also the new, uh, partnership also with ESPN and the PLL. So, you know, there's certainly a lot of things going on for you there. So congrats on that. Thanks. When you, when you talk about the storytelling aspect, have you noticed, uh, when you look back at your career, did that trait and that skill, could you find that in your game? Because I think I asked that because I think the one question I've, that's recently come uh, to mind for me is, are there similarities between who people are as athletes and who they become afterwards? Is there a similarity? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I used to think about my repetitions against the wall as, uh, you know, and the wall is, is essentially like our version of practice in lacrosse as you get outside with your stick and ball and you find a brick wall and you have passes against it and you work on your skill. Um, 
I used to think of that more around kind of process and math. And then I've learned that it was, there was also art to it and creativity and uh, being able to create your own practice routine, but also explore different ways of, of playing. I had a chance to sit down with Kyrie Irving recently, and, and he, he was kind of describing his style of play as an artist. Um, but to get to that, you have to also have the fundamentals, right? To be able to slash through the lane like Kyrie does with both hands, you can't do that instinctively without having the principles mastered. Um, so I think the best athletes or the best business people in the world have, uh, a great combination of, of math and science with, with art and creativity and, um, and the process is your math and, and then the, the art is your ability to innovate and, uh, creatively solve critical challenges in ways that textbooks don't teach us, um, but uh, a wide set of of knowledge across industries can. Hmm. So that that create that creativity. Would you call yourself highly creative? Is that or? Uh, I mean, I think. Look, I, if if I call myself highly creative one day, I, I feel incredibly uncreative the next. So. <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, I, I think I strive to be a creative person. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, as we had talked about other things, just work that goes into it. Mm-hmm. Well, I asked that because I was wondering, I was going to, my next question was going to be, well, if you do identify yourself or at least want to be creative and like the idea that you could be creative, what is your, what is going to be your next masterpiece oh. in this next chapter of your life? Well, I think getting right into the PLL is my focus over the next five, seven years. We have so much, uh, we have so much ground to cover and we have really high, uh, ambitions for where we can take the league and our teams and, and grow the profile of the game internationally. And, and of course, domestically, uh, and there are so many different avenues of chipping away at that. And, uh, mentioned our film, but then there's follow on scripted, unscripted concepts that we have that we're working on to uh, obviously improving the live game, the broadcast there, the, the event experience for our fans, how we're uh, kind of omni channeled across the calendar, and, um, and, and really how we're inspiring ourselves and inspiring uh, our audience. That is uh, a plateful and it happens to intersect around a lot of the things that I love. So I feel really grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that that's your vision moving forward and then taking the vision and looking, reflecting back a little bit. I remember earlier in the interview, you mentioned that the hardest part was probably the first eight months after retiring. So around that eight month uh, juncture, how did you find closure and how did you say goodbye to lacrosse? Oh... I suppose like the, the, the goal, the key for me is, is, um, is in a lot of things is, is not living in the binary around like turning the page of finding closure. I think, you know, we could read up on relationships and most actually don't get a sense of closure, but most, uh, relationship therapists call them LCFTs. They will, uh, suggest that, Closure is just this like thing out there that society tells us would be great to have, but but what actually 
uh, is it in way of value to growth? And I think it's more about creating space and understanding and uh, compassion for yourself and your experience as you go through this. And also, you know, not having to oblige to historical standards, especially in sport. I mean, sport's really the only industry where they ask for a definitive answer around retiring, right? Like in business, at least, when Mike and I finish with the PLL, we'll probably take a lot of time off and then go start a new business and go invest in other companies. And, um, you know, you look at the, the arts and entertainment field, musicians and actors, like they take a lot of time off in between projects and some of them years and then they're going to go act again. And, you know, when, when's Daniel Day-Lewis doing his next film? He's amazing. And we're not like, are you retired? Uh, and so right. all the bullshit in sports, uh, and, and I think in, in life, in a lot of ways, will try to push us in the direction of like making a decision or or coming up with a you know an outcome or, or an answer. And and the, the truth is, the hard is hard is that there there really isn't uh, very many in life like definitive outcomes that make us feel all of a sudden comfortable and and okay with moving on. Now, all that said, I, I, I'm still in lacrosse, so I'm, I'm uniquely positioned where I know that a lot, a lot of other athletes or friends of mine that have retired or are uh, like they step away from the game entirely and they go do something totally different. And that's a different uh, type of reconciliation and, uh, and transition. I, I'm on the field still every weekend, so I see these guys compete. I get to feel their level of competition. It's not the same. But, um, but I'm still kind of in it and I appreciate that. And, and, um, you know, and I get to kind of feel the normality of doing all that now. Mm -hmm. Last question. Um, what, what have you learned in leaving sport during this transition that you think is, is a very important life lesson? Hmm. Well, I think that we, whether we're in sport or any field, um, we should try to understand and think through the pros and cons of it. And sport has so many advantages from a young age uh, to participating in it or coaching or you know, being a fan of sport, there's the tribalism and community of it. There are the, there's the leadership lessons, resilience, work ethic, process, artistry, a lot of stuff that we've covered, uh, camaraderie and uh, relationship building and stuff. And then, and then there's also the, the toxic elements of it, like the dog eat dog, the, uh, the fear that is kind of, you know, stoking the flame um, the never enough, the, uh, kind of the tyrannical or narcissistic element of having to be the best. So all that stuff, you know, when you become a pro, um, can, can, I think lean negative to character development. So I think like, you know, there like being, being okay with, with, understanding at least the way I approach life is I talk about the entire spectrum a lot of people, and I've learned this in sport the hard way, which is, you know, if we talk about losing this game, we're going to lose. Or if we talk about, you know, we're going to get fucking killed. And, and 
where they're missing is like, well, it, I'm sorry you feel that way. It's a possibility. And if we don't explore this possibility, what's going to be our game plan if we are down 3 nothing? Because everyone's been down 3 nothing. And so like you're actually shorting your likelihood to win. And so when I think about a decision with our company or a decision that I've made as an athlete, just explore the spectrum of pros and cons and, and you're just going to be better prepared. And and maybe that's the answer. It's a good question. It's hard to like leave the podcast with something profound, but um, but preparation, I think, is is what a lot of people would uh, kind of point at me and in, in doing uh, maybe better than than the mean is I prepare really really well um, and I care deeply about my preparation. No, thank you for taking the time to thoughtfully work yourself through that. It's a it's a difficult. Uh, a very open-ended question, but I think I took away from it this, the spectrum of um, the experience of the pros and cons, the highs and lows, because I, you're right. I think we live in a society where it's like, we just want the good and we just want that side, but you can't have the love without the hate, in my opinion. You can't have the good without the bad. It has to be the full uh, kind of like dichotomous experience. Yeah. Well, Paul, and trust me, I, you'll experience that when you watch our film. You'll be like, this guy is equally maniacal as, <laughs> as he is like in a contradictory way present, but like constantly tension in it. Uh, and it's a difficult, it's a really, really difficult uh, watch for me. And I thought that the film was awful. And, and then um, uh, more people than, than not thought it was good. So uh, I, I think the That's awesome. The vulnerability in it will will hopefully map out if those of you who are listening to this show then decide to watch it. All uh, right. Well, let us know where we can watch it and when. Um, yeah. So ESPN Plus exclusively beginning on August 29th. And then it's going to be on ESPN on September 15th and ABC on September 18th. Great. So if you want to see Paul in his cleats and just a spandex, I guess that is yeah, the yeah, date. Yeah. August 29th. Everybody is going to go to ESPN Plus for one reason or another. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Bob. Well, thank you so much and opening up and sharing your story. We wish you the best of luck and we will all be tuning in, uh, not only to your podcast, but also um, the PLL and also uh, the documentary. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Just a friendly reminder that you could also watch the full version of all these episodes on YouTube. Just search for our show, The Next Chapter with Prim's Ripapat. And also subscribe to us, like us, give us a star rating. We appreciate you listening. And of course, always showing your support. The Next Chapter with Prim's Ripapat is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.